0: All right, welcome to the State of the Lakers on Dash Radio. Thank you guys so much for coming to hang out on Christmas Day. I hope if you celebrate that you enjoyed celebrating. If you don't celebrate, I hope you enjoyed the day off from work. If you did have to work for whatever reason, I hope you had a good day. Um, But first of all, Raj, how are you doing, buddy?
1: I'm doing well. Doing well, man. Had a nice holiday. Uh Merry Christmas to you and everyone in here and again like if you celebrate obviously and happy holidays to everyone. Uh that was a rough one. We did have some good basketball though today before that, so there was some good NBA. Um and today was a fun game at the end, but uh yeah, how are you man? Merry Christmas to you and your your family and happy holidays to you and your fam.
0: Good basketball earlier in the day. That's a, that is a uh or a, I should say a fun end to the game. That's an interesting way to characterize <laughs> it because from my perspective <laughs> It was like we were already deeply irritated by a deep irritating <laughs> basketball game, and then the basketball gods were like, "Why don't we top it off by making it seem like right. there's an opportunity to win before it blows up in your face?" Um, I think we have to start with Russ, and I'm gonna, Ross, R- R- Raj, bear with me here for a second because I'm gonna get something off my chest, something that I've I've been complaining about a lot this season, uh, coming into the season, and that my biggest fear. With Russell Westbrook. I knew this was coming. (laughs) So, So my biggest fear with Russell Westbrook from the beginning had very little to do with fit. I had a feeling that, you know, over the course of a playoff series and over the course of the regular season, he would be mostly a net positive in terms of what he brings to the team with his athleticism and his energy and his good leadership and just the sheer force of will that is Russell Westbrook. And there's obviously so much good That comes with that, but he is his own worst enemy because he can't see one inch in front of his face with his decision-making on both ends of the floor. And as I told you during the summer, my biggest fear with Russell Westbrook wasn't, you know, what would happen in the meat and potatoes, but rather a handful of crucial possessions at the end of a playoff game. Now, this was not a playoff game. We thought the Lakers were probably going to lose tonight. You know, it looked like they were going to get absolutely destroyed tonight if you paid attention there in the third quarter. So obviously this this in and of itself isn't a crisis right now. But what you saw tonight is what I'm so scared of. Crucial game. Team is fighting. You're playing against a contender. Everything's on the line Two completely boneheaded, critical mistakes that cost your team a basketball game. On a possession where the Lakers do a bunch of switching, Russ ends up getting switched on Patty Mills. He's guarding him at the top of the key. He immediately turns his back to Patty Mills and just starts drifting listlessly over to the elbow, paying no attention to where Patty is. Patty, because he's a smart basketball player, just relocates to the weak side corner. Easy driving kick. Russ is nowhere to be found. Patty Mills is going to make that shot nine times out of 10. That's a huge, huge catastrophic mistake. And then... I think it was two possessions later on the offensive end. LeBron drives into the lane, throws a pass, gets deflected, and it lands into Russ's hands. But there's plenty of time on the shot clock. There's no need to rush anything. Russ sees a driving lane, gets into the lane, has an opportunity to lay the ball up with his left hand, especially since the shot blocker was on the right side of the rim, so he could have used the rim to protect his own shot. And for whatever reason, even though I think he's dunked on one person this season, And that one crazy run that he had, uh, I can't even remember what team it was against, but yeah, against the Mm -hmm. Celtics, but he's missed more dunks than he's made this year. He's very clearly not had the same lift that he's had in years past. And he tried to left hand dunk the ball and he was probably four or five inches short of ever being able to make that attempt, launched it into the rim. And just like that, the game was over. And again, like you can live with the four for 17 or whatever he started the game You can live with any of that stuff because he's getting offensive rebounds. He gets a loose ball here and there. He gets a tie up, forces a jump ball. He brings a lot of good to the table. But it's those catastrophic decisions at the end of these games that will cost you you a loss in a playoff series. I literally watched him do it to Kevin Durant in OKC. That's my biggest fear. So talk me off the ledge, Raj. Tell me how it's all going to be OK.
1: Yeah, I'll try to be a little bit more measured with it. I don't know about talk to you off the ledge. It feels like we've been standing right at the ledge for a while now. Every other game is rock bottom, and then they all of a sudden dig another bottom, right? So we just keep on falling through and just keep finding more rock bottoms. No, Russ was bad throughout this whole night. I mean, you said, you know, critical possession in the game. I think the, you know, the late run is a little fool's gold. I thought Brooklyn really took their foot off the gas. James Harden, who also has questionable decision-making, right, in in big pressure moments. I thought you saw that as well. Uh, when the game got tight, you saw him kind of take tough shots, make bad passes, and that end of the run was kind of fool's gold. We were down 20 or something with the fourth quarter. Russ was just bad tonight, and just putting this into context, this is probably the worst, Russ, you're going to get. And you said we can live with the four for 20 we can't live with the four for 20, not with the way that we're shorthanded right now, not without Anthony Davis and the shots he's missing. Like he's missing layups at the rim. I thought the turnovers were just awful tonight. And him him and LeBron had a nice little two man game. LeBron was fronted in the post by the Nets a lot and he found him uh, on the back doors when they did high low action. But a lot of his turnovers tonight, he tried to push off makes which is really tough with this team. We were really slow to start the game. Uh, We had Dwight Howard obviously starting, and he tried to run, and we just weren't with him. And he would drive in and do a lot of high-risk, low-reward passes. It was just a lot of stuff uh, that was just really bad for him. And it was a rough start, and I thought that carried through the whole game. He was just really bad. There's nothing to say. And the late-game decision-making, man, our – our best offense tonight was LeBron Malik Monk screen roll, right? Like that's mm-hmm. to me where we got our best offense and LeBron would drive, kick it out to Russ and he would drive or take these awful shots. He took a bunch of jab step threes tonight, which makes no sense. And again, not to pin everything on him because the loss is kind of, you know, convoluted with a bunch of factors, but no, he was really bad. We went on a, and again, these numbers aren't fair to him as well. Cause I think there's stuff that this lineup did, that are productive just to the skill sets of the roster. But we went on a 17 to zero run without him tonight, Jason, that turned the fourth quarter around. Yep. And uh, people are asking, I saw our friend Dom and say, how the hell could you put Russ back in? It's a bigger story. If you don't put Russ back exactly. in, I I don't, and I don't think they want that right now. And I get that. You have to find ways uh, to have Russ be, you know, impactful in these minutes. And he just wasn't. And, I tweeted cruel after he missed that dunk because that's what it was, right? 2008 or 2009 or even 2012 Russ probably is still hanging on the rim, right, in that kind of uh, in that kind of play. But he's just not there, could not lift. And I think the missed layups are part of that. We discussed his finesse. I think he's lost a finesse part of his game, which is just so fascinating to me. I know you say he's never really had it, but I I disagree just in terms of I've seen the way he finished in the past. But he was bad tonight, man. There's no... There's no sugarcoating it. He was he was awful. He was I think a minus 26 in a game we lost by like four or five. Like that just and plus minus isn't always the tell all. Uh, of Tonight I'm of sure so was. <laughs> yeah, it matched the eye test, man. And again, if you probably you if you don't put Russ back in this game, you probably have a better shot at winning. But that's not how a team works, right? That's not how construction, locker room chemistry, politics, whatever you want to call it. You just can't bench. Russ in this type of game right now it's it's just not gonna happen so it was bad man and the fit was bad I thought him I thought Talon played well when he was off the bench I like the Talon LeBron Monk uh with mellow lineups but, but yeah man Russ was bad there's no sugarcoating it for sure
0: yeah you know you said yourself you're like we can't we can't live with the four for 20 games and mm-hmm.
1: I agree with you in the sense that if Russ is gonna
0: have like just absolutely disastrous offensive games that it's gonna have a massive negative impact on the team that goes without saying the mm-hmm. problem is, is Russ is just as likely to make those types of mistakes when he's having a great game. Yeah. You know, I, I'll, I'll, even expand it out to the, to the, to the larger sk- scheme of the season to start this season. Russ was very reserved in crunch time and deferred to LeBron almost exclusively and was avoiding those kinds of mistakes. But then suddenly tonight he lost his mind and that's the thing. You could be in a playoff series like that and he could be really good in the crunch time of game one and really good in the crunch time of game two. But maybe the road team, you know, maybe it's 2-2 after five games just because of the way the series shakes out and he loses his mind in game five. And bam, you're down 3-2 going on the road or whatever it is, the circumstances that the series provide. But that's the thing with Russ. It's there's a difference between you can depend on me to consistently make the right decision. And it's a total coin flip. One night I'm reserved mm-hmm. and I'm playing the game measured and I'm slow down and I'm making the right decisions. And then the next night it's like, you might as well have just shot me like a, a BB in a tiny room and I'm just bouncing off the walls and no one knows what I'm doing. Like that's, that is the Russell Westbrook experience in a nutshell. Again, it's like a, a, a couple plays before the two horrible plays that I'm talking about that post-up play where he's posting at Patty Mills. It's like, dude, you haven't been able to make a layup all game long. So if you're going to, or any sort of complicated layup, I should say. So if you're going to post up Patty Mills, you need to be thinking I am above the rim by myself, or Mm -hmm. I'm kicking it out. Any sort of below the rim finesse type of hook, anything like that. It's like, man, you just don't have it tonight. That has to be moved around. But that, that, that's my, that's my thing. He could go 12 for 20 Mm -hmm. in a pivotal playoff game and make two completely boneheaded mistakes, one on defense and one on offense, and it can cost you a playoff series. And that's the problem. It's like the example that I always use is that 2014 series against the Spurs in game six. They're insane. They're in Oklahoma city. Uh, OKC is actually down pretty big late. And uh-huh. Russ, Russ goes on an amazing run in the uh, middle, late fourth quarter to get OKC back in the game. And you're like, man, great. Russ two completely awful, pivotal mistakes at the end of that game that cost OKC the game. And that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. It's good, 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 bad, bad, you know, or it's good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. Or nights like tonight where it's all bad. But he cannot control his decision making at the end of high leverage situations. And that is a potentially lethal flaw. And I don't, again, like he could play amazingly well and amazingly reserved for the rest of the regular season. He could do it for the entire first round. He could do it for the entire second round and we could be sitting in golden state and I would be sitting on my couch terrified that he's <laughs> going to do that again, because that's, that's the Russell Westbrook experience. And and I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know how, how you prepare for that. I don't know what you do because it's like, it's like tonight, just one second, you have all the momentum and it feels like you're going to win the game. And then the next second is gone like that, that, that it's, it's over. When, when those mistakes happen at the end of a game like that, there you cannot recover from them and so i I, again it's just it's very discouraging and i mean there's a lot more to take from this game guys and we're going to get into it we're going to talk about their start we're going to talk about stanley johnson we're going to talk about all this stuff but i think the story of this game at the beginning here is 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 russell westbrook this is this is part of the russell westbrook experience he can almost single-handedly derail a game and and that and that's that's problematic
1: yeah the you know the experience is a roller coaster right and you talked about that playoff game where you know he brought us back and he does this a lot in every game right it seems like every game that he starts he really walks into it right he tries to feel it out and he makes his impact later on and you know sometimes that's fine he'll have a huge third quarter but you don't get the good without the bad with him and right and a lot of and this season, like, to give him a little bit of credit, like, he has kind of pushed the pace. He has kind of tried to keep our energy up when the when the body language has been bad. So I don't want to make this, you know, like, he's been awful this season. But you're right. In crunch time situations, like, it is a question. It's why, you know, a lot of late-game situations, he has, you know, questionable plays, questionable shot selection. Even in the Dallas game, right, that three went in. But, Jason, that's probably be an awful shot, right, to be honest. Like, we're, like, down three, uh, and he hits three to tie, but that's probably a bad shot. This isn't the first time it's happened either, right? I believe against the Bulls, we were on our way to a comeback and he like drove and tried to make like a left hand layup. Uh, I forgot who was at the rim. I think it was Vucevic or someone. And uh, he just missed that right at the basket. Oh, yeah, that little
0: weird pirouetting
1: hook shot that I thought that I was so mad about. I remember that. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. And here's the only like silver lining, I guess, like that I can go because we have this, we have seen a few games of this team, fully healthy, and we've seen close games. And what has it been? It's been LeBron with the basketball and Russ either as the screener or in the dunker spot where LeBron's using another guard to set the screen or using Russ as the screener and he can play four on three. We haven't really seen very many times this season where Russ has the basketball in like in late game situations where he's the kind of main creator. And I thought tonight he got a few of those possessions. And again, that's not how basketball works. You can't just tell someone to never touch the ball late. And there's plays where LeBron, you know, is going to have the ball. He's going to have to kick to Russ and he has to make high leverage decisions. But I think for the most part, and we are so far away from that, I guess, where we have to, you know, worry about late game situations. I watched the Phoenix and Golden State game today, and my goodness, we are so far away <laughs> from executing or com- like competing or even being at that level to a basketball that those teams are playing at. We're on a ladder trying to climb up there and there's still time to, you know, get up those steps. There's process that we can do. Um, and again, that I feel like there's stuff that doesn't help Russ out either. I think the starting lineup is a big part of it. We can get into that next as well uh and all the lineup stuff and all the shifting that we're doing but yeah man Russ was bad and this was another tough one just bad decision making late and hopefully he's not in those positions when AD is healthy when LeBron you know is there controlling the decisions in the playoffs I just don't think he'll be put in those situations for the most part but tonight's just a really bad Russ game and we talked about over the summer these are gonna happen he's gonna have four for 20 games it's gonna be loud and it was loud tonight and his, his mistakes are very much like what were you thinking there, you know, or like, what was the, what's the reward there of getting that pass through? Like a lot of times it's like a screen roll and he throws that pocket pass with like zero finesse. It's just hard. It's down. There's no, like if it gets through it's by luck, <laughs> you know what I mean? So a lot of plays like that happen. but yeah, Russ was just bad, man. And that was, it was tough to watch. And it's don't want to blame everything on him. Cause that's not fair because there's lineup stuff that we can kind of go into next, but It was, it was bad, man. And that's, and there's no sugarcoating that tonight.
0: That's why I used the expression. He can't see one inch in front of his face. You know, Mm -hmm. like a good game manager always sees the big picture. That's what LeBron is so good at. He sees the big picture of the possession, right? Like he sees, okay, if I beat this man at the point of attack, this rotation is probably coming to take away the 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 pocket pass or the weak side corner or whatever. He's always seeing several steps ahead but at the same time, he also sees behind. He's like, okay, is this guy in a rhythm? No. Is this mm-hmm. guy in a rhythm? Yes. Like, uh, is the, have we gotten a shot for so and so in a while? You know, what's the what's the the flow of this game? Is this game flowing in a way where they need me to be more aggressive offensively, or is this a great time to try to get other guys involved? Like LeBron always sees the bigger picture, and he also sees the bigger picture of the regular season. That's why he can be such a good leader in yep. these types of environments with a team that has championship aspirations. But with Russ... There's none of that. There's nothing outside of what's one inch in front of his face. Think about that last possession where he missed the dunk. It's a ricochet pass from LeBron that lands in his hands. Okay, A couple possessions earlier, Stanley Johnson catches the ball on the wing, wide open in transition, but he sees the bigger picture of the possession and goes, I could shoot this, but actually a better option is to go to LeBron here. Swings it to LeBron, LeBron bully balls his way to the basket and gets a layup. That's the thing. In that moment, Russ saw Lane, and you know what he thought? It'd be cool if I dunked this here. Like if I if I dunked this one, man, I'll be all over House of Highlights. And he saw that in that like that tiny little fraction of time, he made a calculated decision that it was worth it to go for the highlight. Whereas if he was seeing anything outside of that tiny little fraction of moment, he might have thought, actually, this this ball, uh, I need. We happen to gain control of a loose ball. This is a great time to get the ball back to LeBron so we can make a real basketball decision. Or if you see a lane, okay, I see a lane here. I'm going to get into his body and try to either get a foul or a layup, you know, not here's a low percentage play that even if I'm, you know, all season long, I've been missing. I'm just going to go for it. You know what I mean? Like that kind of decision-making is that's what I mean when I say he can't see more than one inch in front of his face. Now, moving on to the, the start of the game, because I thought this was really interesting because you and I, we, were, we had planned on talking to start this game about their lackluster effort and, yeah. uh, and uh, body language in the, in, with the starters. And I think there's two elements to it. One is that ba- basketball character thing that we, that we keep talking about all season, having to do with guys just not being willing to do the dirty work. But a big part of it is just a foundational structure of the lineup. We have talked uh, – we talked a while back about basic lineup rules. So you remember that it was actually something mm-hmm. that our guy, Anthony Irwin from silver screen and roll kind of conceptualized it. And one of the rules was you cannot play Russ and THT together or, or with a big was the big one. Basically yeah. if you're going to play THT and Russ, you'd need to take Dwight off the floor. The idea being let's try to limit it to two non-shooters and anything over two non-shooters, it just gets way too clunky And it's impossible to get anything going. And those two problems compound each other, right? Because we get Russ, THT, and Dwight in a lineup. There's no shooting. Everything becomes stagnant. You get a lineup like – what, or you get a defensive scheme like what Brooklyn does where they're just kind of switching everything and floating around. It becomes like, okay, somebody's got to take a jump shot because there's just someone Mm -hmm. in the paint. We even had a clip, if you remember, James Harden mic'd up, going up to Claxton saying, hey, buddy, I want you Mm -hmm. living in the paint. You don't pay attention to anybody, live in the paint. That's a side effect of that lineup. But those two things feed off of each other, right? Lineup Mm -hmm. structure and basketball character. If you are a lazy team, then it's going to be exacerbated by lineup shortcomings that are going to make you even lazier. You know, It, it, it all like feeds off of each other, and it's like it just waterfalls into this. Now we're getting rolled with LeBron James and Russell Westbrook on the floor, which should never happen, right? And so that, that, that kind of is what frustrated me about that, is I'd like for them to play harder, but I'm not sure that they will until you start putting functional lineups together.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I just don't think like that should be the reason that they play hard. Like They were so disengaged to start this game, and it reminded me a lot of the Spurs game, actually, because the Nets just came down. Simple James Harden pick and roll, right? There was nothing fascinating. There was nothing complicated. You knew this was coming to start the game. Like, there's no way you didn't know the Nets were going high ball screen screen and roll every time. And it was literally just no one tags the no one tags roll, man. It was a layup or wide open corner three. And, again, I need to go back and watch the tape and see if that's LeBron just deciding not to tag, if that's THT not knowing where to go. Those are stuff that I feel like they need to clean up, no matter what the lineup is. And that's identity. That's, you know, your, cult, your basketball culture. I've been saying, like, for a long time, and after this Spurs game, you were kind of more positive, right? You were saying this is a lot. You know, we're playing a lot of lineups that aren't real, right? And I totally agree with that. I still think there's an identity to this team that's just not fitting with our circumstance. We're two games under 500 now. Like, there's no reason to come out tonight super disengaged, awful defense to start it, right? And stuff that just easy to fix. Our friend Darius Soriano said it was a clown show to start the game, and I agree with that. We were walking up and down the court. And the lineups are bad. Look, You can't start Dwight, THT, and Russ together. And Russ is not going anywhere. So the other two are the one where you kind of have to fill out where to go with it. And THT, we'll see if he continues to start. He still looks absolutely lost in the offense. I thought it looked better when he was in for Russ. I think uh, in that big run we went on, I think he was on the floor. But we just can't start games this way. And it's kind of really unfortunate that we have two centers that are just kind of unplayable right now like I mean Dwight Howard's better than DeAndre Jordan but he didn't look great tonight either against the Nets I thought he played hard in his minutes but he just was not functional um, to do anything defensively so we had to go LeBron at the center and then obviously our favorite the, the Carmelo at the five and we went Carmelo at the five with four guards which really just put the game away in my opinion it put uh, the Nets up 20 um, but that starting lineup man is, is just so rough and I think. We just go so rigid with our decisions. Like in the second half, we didn't start Dwight Howard, which is fine. Like I I totally agree with that assessment. But then we just decided not to plan the whole half, which again led to those awful linos. But that start, we need to clean that up. D- Jason, did you see this as well? Because I put in my, my notes here as well. Our body language picked up when LeBron went to the five. Like it's just everything kind of picked up, it seemed like. And I don't know if that was just subbing Malik Monkey in for us at the six-minute mark. But it seemed our whole energy kind of switched when that happened. And Malik Monk's probably too small to be starting, although I thought his defense was fine tonight. Uh, Wayne Ellington was kind of getting picked on. I didn't think he was the problem expecting him to guard James Harden, isn't it? But it's just stuff that we start these games so slow. It's a first quarter league to me as much as it is a fourth quarter league. We were down like double digits. We were down 15 with like four minutes left. That stuff to me has nothing to do with AD being out, with Ariza being out, Kendrick Nunn being out, Austin Reese being out. That's just we're going to get to Stanley Johnson later, but a guy who just plays hard jumps off the damn page on this team. Like Stanley Mm -hmm. Johnson is a good defender. He has a skills as a defender. I think, you know, defensive skills go underrated when we talk about basketball kind of uh, in a total sense, but he just played his ass off and I jumped off the page, but these starting lineups are just, are just so rough and we're starting these games out. So lethargic. So against what I think our identity of the team is. And we went all into Russ and I think these are interconnected. I think Russ not starting well. Also, is a part of this but yeah these lineups are rough man i don't know where we hopefully we get some guys back hopefully get a reason back but i think uh just starting Kalen and dwight next to russ makes lebron's life a lot harder as well where do you think we go with this next because i think i think that's where we kind of fix lebron's played super well the last few games and we still lost he's playing his ass off at least in the second half of these games and we're still losing uh where would you where would you kind of go with this i guess uh going into the rockets game next year well, you and you and I have been on this already. This idea that LeBron and Dwight should stagger essentially.
0: Right. Pick, mm-hmm. pick a pick a center you're going to play, which obviously should be Dwight, and stagger him and LeBron. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. Like LeBron plays 35 minutes a game, he's going to be the center, and mm-hmm. then when uh, 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 let Dwight check in for that 13, you know, two six minute shifts, two seven minute shifts, whatever, and let him play his butt off while he's out there, and he'll be effective. That that was it. Made absolutely no sense to go to that lineup. With Carmelo Anthony and the four guards, that's just that's just nonsensical. Like as I always say, there are jobs that need to be done on the basketball court, and yes. those jobs won't be completed unless you have guys that can fill those roles. Like yes, LeBron. You want to know why LeBron works at center because he could do stuff that centers do. It's it's not mm-hmm. any more complicated than that. But this brings me back to the frustrating part of the of, of like roster construction, right? Because you know we just watched the Warriors play. And the Warriors were down, you know, the Warriors were down five uh, of their best wings, right? Like they're down Andrew Wiggins, they're down Jordan Poole, they're mm-hmm. down Clay Thompson, they're down uh, uh, Andre Iguodala. they were down uh, Damian Lee, but it's like they still have all of these guys that can guard up and down several positions, Gary Payton Jr. and Draymond Green, obviously, in the starters, but then beyond I mean, that, that, it's like, Yeah. uh, Jonathan Kaminga, Jonathan uh, or uh, uh, Juan Toscano Anderson and Otto Porter. They had like five additional wings they could play because foundationally the Warriors organization understands that in the future of basketball, it's a lot of switching and in a lot of running up and down at higher pace. So like having size and athleticism and guys that can guard multiple positions is directly what relates to your ability to succeed on the basketball court, which is something that I preached all year last year in the playoffs in, in uh, uh, respect to the L.A. Clippers who lost their best player and came within two wins of an NBA, uh, an NBA Finals appearance because they thoroughly embraced that concept. And meanwhile, the Lakers have just been kind of allergic to going after that kind of guy. I told you guys that I had mm-hmm. heard through the grapevine that they had an opportunity to sign Rudy Gay, but they were unwilling to pay him more than the, the veteran minimum. So clearly they valued a guy like Kendrick Nunn For five and a half million more than they valued a guy like Rudy Gay for five and a half million. That's a that's a basketball philosophy that I just can't understand. You know, Stanley Johnson looked really good tonight for two reasons. And one of them is effort. I've been talking about this with you on this podcast for a while. Like the the urgency of, of clawing and fighting for your spot in the NBA breeds effort naturally. And that's something that this team desperately needs because it's missing down the roster. So voila, put a guy in there who's fighting for his NBA life, who has some size and athleticism, it's going to reap some rewards. But the second half of that is the fact that functional basketball lineups in the modern NBA require guys between 6'4 and 6'8 that can move and that can guard multiple positions, run up and down the floor. They don't even have to be able to knock down a three necessarily. Preferably, you want them to be able to. But Stanley Johnson's spacing did not hurt the team tonight because of how much other good he brought to the table. Now yep. the Lakers have two really good defensive forwards right now in health and safety protocols in Austin Reeves and Trevor Ariza. So do they have as many forwards as I would hope for them to have the way golden state does? No, but in theory, again, if you're looking for some optimism here, this is where you hope to God that Jeannie <laughs> bus is not going to pinch pennies on Stanley Johnson. The obvious move here is to cut Deandre Jordan or somebody like that at the end of the bench and make room for this guy. I know it's just one game, but it's a, it is a structural problem with this roster. He fits a specific need. And at the, at the end of the day, even if you keep him on a non-guaranteed deal, at least then you have the flexibility to have him until a better option comes up. But Stanley Johnson is the type of the archetype of player that this team desperately needs in order to run functional basketball lineups. And then, like I tweeted out earlier, and that's the last thing I'll say about it, when you, uh, there's, there's one thing that is 1000% under control, under your control in a basketball game, a bunch of things that are out of your control, knocking down shots. That's, that's a game to game sort of thing. I mean, heck, we just watched against the Spurs the other night. We watched Melo and Wayne Ellington go two for 11 from three. That's going to happen sometimes. Those are two guys that have been shooting the lights out when they're open this year and they didn't make shots that, that happens From time to time. Layups. Sometimes layups don't go in. We literally watched the Lakers smoke like six layups tonight that rolled in and out of the rim. That's unfortunate. Like that, that, that I can't, you can't necessarily control that, but you can control your effort and attention to detail. That is 1000% under your control. And when you put in effort and attention to detail in combination with size and athleticism, it is a guaranteed impact on a basketball game. And you saw that with Stanley Johnson tonight, played his butt off has great physical tools, automatic impact. And so that that's the kind of thing that the Lakers need to lean into more over mm-hmm. the course of the next uh, couple of weeks. More Austin Reeves, more Trevor Ariza, more Stanley Johnson. Those guys play hard. Those guys have great physical tools. Austin Reeves doesn't even have great physical tools, and it still impacts the game because of how hard he tries. So those that's the direction that the Lakers need to lean into more.
1: Yeah, and I want to start like kind of macro here and then kind of go on to the basketball court. I feel like there's like a market inefficiency a little bit of like defensive-minded players who can't score, right? Or who aren't offensive options or even liabilities offensively. And I think we're kind of seeing that around the league. GP2, right, is one guy watching that Warriors Suns game, just seeing him impact the game without really having a jump shot, right, at the guard. Positions can guard one through five. Alex Caruso obviously, obviously is kind of the face of that, although he's gotten better offensively. And not to give Stanley Johnson, because it's been one game, I think it's easier for easiest for us and he played really well tonight and i think he has defensive skills that kind of can translate what this team needs we have to see it a little bit more consistently right let's see uh if he can keep that up going forward but again just guys who are he's not going to be an offensive threat and i don't even think he has to have a jumper jason for this for him to be successful on this team we have enough scoring options on this team and it it was nice just to have a guy who's defensive minded right who's defensive first who's that's what he puts his money into, right? That's what his hard hat kind of goes to. It's onto defense. And watching him in the isolation defense against James Harden, that got me excited and reminded me of the 2019 team. And we continue to latch onto that because that was kind of our last positive, I guess look at this team after AD got hurt um, in February last year. But just going back to that, defensive-minded guys, watching him mirror James Harden, right? James Harden trying to cross him over and him matching, uh, you, you call it mirroring when you're guarding a guy defensively. Just watching him do that, fight on the rebound, fight on the boards, man. And I thought he looked good. And you're right, 6'8", physical wing. We were hoping Chandy Brown could kind of be that, but I don't think his body is ready or he's not NBA ready. Stanley Johnson's been around the league enough uh, where he's kind of card his niche as a defensive player now the offensive limitations are why he's on the team but i think he is a good defensive player i think he can fit right in and again it's not like stanley johnson this great player it's just on this team it stands the hell out when you have all these small guards that we're playing we'll talk about darren collison next who He's actually listed at, Darren Collison is listed at six foot. Isaiah Thomas is at five nine. So it's not like you're getting so much more of a, a height advantage. And he had some rough fouls tonight. But man, Stanley Johnson, I'm hoping he can kind of fit in. And it just works when you have a guy who's defensive minded. You could throw on James Harden where LeBron didn't have to be that guy. THT with him being young, you don't have to have him being the full guy defensively. I thought it fit. I thought he was a big part. I didn't get to look at his plus minus tonight. I think it was pretty good. I thought he was a part of all the runs we went on. He just fits the archetype that this team needed. He's on a two-way. I think he's gonna stay on the two-way. I think Isaiah Thomas is probably done who didn't play tonight. But yeah, his archetype just fits. Hard working player. And if he can fit if he can stick him, Reeves, and Ariza, and again, that's such a tough thing to throw on a guy who wasn't in the league a couple of weeks ago and an undrafted kid, but that's kind of where we're at we're at right now. We need guys who need to who need to play hard to go along uh, with our young guards, but that's where I think it is. I think there's a market inefficiency. If we can kind of tap into that a little bit um, and tap into a few defensive minded players uh, around, you know, going small, because it feels like that's where we're going to go to. We're going to go to LeBron at the five a lot. We went to Melo at the five with guys who just can't defend. You need some leading a little blend, uh, a better blend of both. And I think Stanley Johnson can fit in that. He wasn't in the league a couple of weeks ago, but this team just is begging for an archetype like that. And hopefully he sticks, man.
0: Yep. I 100 percent agree. I mean, you know, the coaching staff is under under a tough predicament here. Mm. You know, it's it's really easy for, for us from our couch to say that we have better solutions. And I like to yeah. think that we're right about some of the stuff. But at the end of the day, like <clears throat> they were tossed a, uh, a like basically the residue of a, of a basketball roster and then forced to add a bunch of guys off the street into it and then try to win basketball games. But now again, a lot of other teams around the league are dealing with it similarly, but functionally they have to come up with a better strategy than what they've been coming up with. So like we said, stagger LeBron and and Dwight that Dwight, there's been a lot of slander directed towards Dwight. As of late, the dude was in COVID protocols and then came, you know, just straight off the street to try to play against San Antonio, Uh, excuse me, straight off, more or less the same because he was locked in a hotel room for, for 10 days. So, Dwight, after he gets back in the lineup consistently, he's going to get back to what he is, which is a perfectly fine backup center. Dwight is a perfectly fine backup center. That's mm-hmm. the, the, he, that is not a weak point on the roster for us. But when we start oh. him, if we decide to start him and then do a poor job of staggering him in LeBron and now play Carmelo at center – Carmelo Anthony is a terrible backup center. So so that's where functionally we make mistakes there. And then, you know, that concept of going with four guards has to go away once we get our forwards back right now, you know, I I get it, you know, like even though I personally wouldn't go with some of those pairings, like I, I, I get under the circumstances, why it at least was tried, but moving forward, if you look at our roster build as, now in the time without Anthony Davis, if you look at it as a simple breakdown of LeBron and Dwight are our centers, then the rest of those minutes, we have to put as many of our wing players on the floor at any given time. I mean, those switchable multiple position wings. So Austin Reeves, THT, I know THT continues to struggle offensively, offensively, his fit makes absolutely no sense on this team that it is what it is at this point, but we can't trade until January 15th, but he can guard up and down a position he still is a very good defensive player. So him, Austin Reeves, Trevor Ariza, Stanley Johnson, we have four completely functional, defensive, defensively versatile forwards. Those guys have to take all the minutes at the three and the four right now. There should never be a lineup. Once Reeves gets out of protocols, once Ariza gets out of protocols, there should never be a lineup while Anthony Davis is injured where we don't have two of those guys on the floor. That just ha- That's how we can run functional basketball lineups. We have to get away from this three-guard lineup, four-guard lineup stuff. It just doesn't function without Anthony Davis. When Anthony Davis is back, maybe you can go back to trying some of that stuff. But even mm-hmm. then, I don't like it. The, the point is, is you, we, we have something here. Um, we have enough when, co- when, when the COVID protocol uh, losses are behind us. We have enough here to be competitive with what we have, even without Anthony Davis, we just have to lean into those strengths. What's going to be really frustrating for me and for you as well, Raj, and for all of us Laker fans is two weeks from now, everyone's out of COVID protocols. We're in a game against a good team and it's Dwight at center with four guards or it's LeBron at center with four guards. That is not leaning into your strengths at that point. That is where we have to start having questions about the coaching staff in doing their job because they're, we're watching too many teams around the league succeed because they lean into those things. The Suns lean heavily into Jay Crowder, Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, guys that are big yeah. and, and can guard multiple positions. The warriors are like almost entirely made up of that type of player. That has to be the direction we lean into. And we, we, we actually, as, as long as they keep Stanley, which I'm hoping they will, we have enough. Oh, I prefer more depth, but we have enough there to, to try to run some functional modern basketball here for a month without AD.
1: Yeah, and, and you talked about the tough decisions that the coaching have, staff has, and it is kind of a push and pull, right? Because you can't just play all defensive lineups around them. That's the reason these small guard lineups play, because we need to score as well uh, when we're out there, right? And when LeBron's at the five, you're kind of leaning into your offense. You're trying to run, and it's hard to do that off makes, obviously. But that's the push and pull that the coaching staff is going to have to play. I think it's tough when we're playing all these different lineups as well to try to be cohesive. Like, like, like tonight our game plan was to trap James Harden, right? Tra- trap James Harden at the top and then try to rotate out of that. And you have to be in somewhat in sync to do that. And we were lost all over the place. The effort kind of. Uh, The effort doubled down on that and made that a lot tougher. But we were trying to trap, and even when James Harden was out of the game, I tweeted once, we trapped Patty Mills at the top just because that's what we were doing. So we just were trapping. (laughs) James Harden went off the floor, and we still decided to trap at the top. I think James Johnson uh, drove and got a layup off of it or got fouled. Uh, But, yeah, there's stuff like that that I would like to see cleaned up. But it's rough when you're throwing you guys in every single day um, and you're trying to fit these defensive guys in now because you realize the roster you have – isn't good enough, right? DeAndre Jordan's healthy. Rajon Rondo's healthy. Those are guys you, you know, put roster spots to who just can't play even though we have no wings or, you know, guards that are able to play. We're signing guards off of 10 days. We're signing, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, that means you have a roster kind of problem here. And maybe that's just solved by getting AD back, getting Reeves back, getting Ariza back. Um, That's the tough part about it, throwing these guys into it, Stanley Johnson. I want to ask you about, you know, Darren Collison because I think it's interesting He played a lot with Russ and LeBron tonight, which kind of confused me. And it worked a little bit. You saw Darren Collison able to push the ball, right, and have Russ and LeBron work as wings. So you have... Instead of Russ or LeBron running the break, you have Russ and LeBron as the wings on the break where Darren, Darren Collison is in the middle making decisions. He had some bad fouls tonight. I thought some of them could have went the other way. You tweeted about one of them where the shooter kind of jumps into it. Don't have to get into that. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, you, you had enough but, of
0: my rants tonight,
1: <laughs> No, no, no. I, I totally get that. Those are rough calls, man. You, you have to give a shoot. Never mind. Not. not we will get it that, in but some other time. Yeah, we'll, yeah, yeah, some other time. But <laughs> after I, I after Collison, a
0: game against like Sacramento or something, we can it, get into the intricacies it, of yeah, jump shot fouls. Sure.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I thought Darren Collison. You know, it's an interesting player because he kind of is building on stuff we already have. Right. When you have Malink Monk already, when you you know have Kendrick and I'm coming back, and then you throw Darren Collison into it. You also have Tht who wants to be a ball handler. But he's a high basketball IQ guy that was a very good player. You know, I think it's three seasons ago, but two years ago. I think that's the correct math if I'm doing that right. Um, His last game was in 2019. So I think I'm doing that math right. But what would you see from Darren Collison tonight? Because I think it's interesting kind of why they signed him, right? And uh, they went after him. They've been courting for a while. But you already had Isaiah Thomas, and obviously that, that experiment looks like it's over. But what would you think of Darren Collison's play?
0: I love Darren Collison's game. And I've loved mm. him ever since the Lakers were initially interested in him in the 2020 season when he was cont- contemplating returning. The thing, yeah. the thing with Darren Collison, because like what he brings to the table is, is just grown-up veteran professional point guard basketball, like just an absolute dead eye spot up shooter when he was in his prime. And like when he's wide open, like he just was a reliable spot up shooter. He can Mm -hmm. get your team into the sets. He doesn't make mistakes. He runs just grown up basketball offense, and then he can defend his position. Fine. Um, The problem with Isaiah Thomas is like, I'd love for them to swap him out for Rondo just because I think he's a better basketball option. But the truth of the matter is, is he just doesn't offer anything to this team when they're whole. The mm-hmm. the only way you could talk me into that potentially be making a lot of sense is if they, you know, we had <clears throat> we had that uh, shams clip when. Um, you know, shortly after the Anthony Davis injury, when there was some stupid rumors going around that LeBron was eyeing going to Cleveland or some stupid crap like that, when, oh, which which I originally like immediately was like, well, that's not happening because we all just know LeBron's kids are all going to Sierra Canyon. And he, he just, LeBron just loves it in LA. That was never, was never, ever, ever going to happen. He's, he's way too happy where he is. I'd be shocked if he ever went to play for anybody else. But that said in that report from Shams, he comes out and says they're extremely active in the trade market, and he explicitly brought up Jeremy Grant, which is somebody that you and I have talked about a million times this year. If you think that you're pro- – like if, if Rob Palenka's in his in, in his office going, we are for sure going to trade Kendrick Nunn and THT for Jeremy Grant, and you're dropping two guards and bringing back a forward, then, yeah, Darren Collison fits into that picture at that point, at least as a good backup guard depth option. It's just hard to imagine – the genie uh, bus shedding a guaranteed contract like Ray John Rondo uh, in, in, in his role to pay for a guy like Darren Collison to stick around the rest of the season. But I love his fit. He's also a guy too, Darren's Stanley Johnson, because he's young and so athletic, he can come off the street and have success in a role like yeah. what he had tonight. Darren Collison was obviously going to look a little rough around the edges. Oh, he's a, he's a small guard who hasn't played NBA basketball in almost three years. So that that obviously was going to be a thing with him. My thing is like you know, it only makes sense to bring him back if you know you're going to trade a bunch of guards for uh, uh, for another forward and you think of him as debt. I'm with you at that point. But Genie's going to have some tough decisions to make here because I think you have to keep Stanley. And you, mm-hmm. you, you just can't do – I think they have one roster spot left. But my guess is – they're like the genie's gonna have to make some tough decisions here about what she wants to spend. Like how much does she feel like spending to try to keep this, this train on the tracks, you know, but I, I I love Darren Carlson's game. Like I said, it's just he If you're the only way it's going to work out for him in LA is if he stays here for more than 10 days, because as a small guard who hasn't played NBA basketball basketball in a while, he's just not gonna, he's not going to just pick it up. Like he's riding a bike. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. He's to me, he's Kendrick Nunn insurance. Like that's kind of what, I see him as, and he gives another guy. And just to go on your point about, you know, genie and keeping, and I don't want to get into all that, but just how, <laughs> the, just how the rotations are kind of going, right. Deandre Jordan, Jordan, we had no centers available. DeAndre, Dwight Howard couldn't play in the second half. DeAndre Jordan couldn't get off the bench. Like to me, that's kind of, if you can read through the lines there, I'm kind of seeing where this is going. But Darren Collison, again, gives us a guy with a mid-range kind of game, right? He can come off screens and pull up. And, And to me, that's something we're missing. And they're obviously looking for some guard scoring, right? You don't go out and get Isaiah Thomas. And the issue with Isaiah Thomas is if he's not scoring, because he's a shoot first, second and third guy, right? And You know, that's what he should be. He's a 5'9 guard in the league. You have to make your impact offensively. That's just what it is. He comes off any kind of screen. He's going to shoot. He's not trying to play make. You know, he's not really trying to drive and and kick and all that. He's I'm getting to my spot and pulling up, or I'm pulling up from three. Darren Collison's a little bit more of a, you talked about it, floor general point guard, right? He's more Mm -hmm. of a, like... He can, he can create. And that's why I'd kind of like to see him in the second unit. I think him and Malik Monk is a kind of fun mix. If you can have enough defense around him, him and THT, I think is interesting. Again, I wanted Darren Collison well, when the Lakers were courting him in 2019. I think people forget he was about to get a big contract that summer. Uh, he's just a solid guard. You said grown-up basketball. I think that fits so well. He reminds me of like Wayne Ellington. It's not the same archetype. Ellington's a straight shooter, but they're both grown-up basketball players, right? They're not High risk. They're very low risk, uh, low reward kind of players, right? They just play the right way. Darren Carlson, he's lost a step. That's expected for me. Um, And I want to give him some time as well because they're obviously searching for guard depth here. You don't go out and get those two guys. But yeah, I think it's interesting. I think he's going to play. And I think he can fit. Grown-up basketball player. He's 34 now. uh, But I mean, Carmelo's 37. You know, So it's not like he's the oldest in the bunch. But I like his game too. It's a grown-up adult game. It's nice to have a controlled ball handler right Rust for all the good he brings he's very still a chaotic ball handler he's a chaotic player it's nice to have a guy you just give a Darren Collison little ball screen at the top make the simple read the simple bounce pass or the simple skip pass to the corner or you know skip like simple plays or the simple pull-up jumper in the mid-range if it's open just stuff that he can read high basketball IQ player and I think I think it'll be fine for for a guy until you know Kendrick Nunn can can go come back whenever he does
0: yeah, I'm 100% with you. Um, I wanted to hit one last thing before we get out of here, guys, and thank you all for hanging out with us on Christmas night like this. Um, as is usually the case, I want to end on just a little positive note, and <laughs> the my one you know saving grace here, the thing I'm clinging to, is the fact that LeBron continues to look like he's very firmly in the conversation for the best Man. players in the world. He continues to look absolutely incredible. That three, right? I think it was immediately after the Patty Mills three that uh, put them up five LeBron comes down and knocks down a 40 footer when the net spots a switch on the perimeter. Did you see that? That was just like, that's just like Mm -hmm. a, that's like an F you. I'm the best player on the floor type of shot. (laughs) And it was, it was just unbelievable stuff from LeBron. And when you pair that with the fact that the Lakers do have some flexibility in the sense that like as, as bad as THT looks, I do think that he is a trade asset around the league. And I. when you look at it from the perspective of LeBron is still LeBron, AD has this time to get healthy. You have wings, not as many as I'd like, but you have wings. And this, the Stanley Johnson experiment is a great example of the fact that even if Stanley doesn't stick around, maybe through the buyout market or something like that, or just in free agency through one of these other teams that signs a replacement player. Maybe the Lakers scouting department can find another, somebody like that. There is, there is enough good in this trash bag here (laughs) that, that I think, I think there's still a scenario where this all could kind of come together and become a legitimate championship contender. It's like, you know, there's a, there's a big difference between optimism about the future And the way I feel about the team right now, Mm -hmm. you know, because I get made fun of a lot (laughs) by all of you guys for being so optimistic all the time. I know we suck. You don't think I know we suck. I have, I have eyes, Like I literally, I played, I played basketball in college. I coach kids now. Like all I do, I live and breathe this game every day of my life. And I know what I'm watching. I'm watching absolute trash basketball. I get it. But that said, there is still, in this trash bag, a concoction that could work. And until like, like I said, I will give up the faith when LeBron and AD can't finish playoff games, because I'm still a believer. You can plug in a guy off the street like Stanley Johnson into a role and it works because LeBron is LeBroning all over the Brooklyn Mm -hmm. nets, right? That, that to me is, is, is always going to be a working formula. So I, I remain optimistic in the sense that this is a, an achievable thing, but a lot of stuff has to change. So it starts with getting everybody back out of COVID protocols. Then Mm -hmm. from there, play functional lineups, stop starting a big man with Russ and THT. You just can't do it. And then from there, lean into your strengths, play more of your wings and get continuity with guys getting to play together every night. They will start to discover a formula that works for them. And then you just plug Anthony Davis in because Anthony Davis is the easiest plug and play basketball player ever because he can defend literally one through five. He can attack closeouts. He can play on the perimeter. He can play from the post. He is the easiest plug and play guy. So this is the perfect opportunity to build a working identity and just get it humming on all cylinders and then just plug Anthony Davis back in.
1: Yeah, so I'm gonna kinda of bring this to the previous game I was watching. So the Warriors Suns game, right? And again, I said we're playing nowhere near close to this kind of basketball, that kind of top tier basketball. But I tweeted out, I would like to see LeBron and AD healthy get a chance at those two teams, right? And people are like, Are you crazy? Have you watched the team this year? But you know, playoff basketball is different. It is very matchup hunting. And at the end of that game, you know, Chris Paul and Devin Booker had a tough time getting shots up, right? And we talk about shot creation and how important that is. And playoff basketball does come down to, you know, what your stars can do, uh, what your stars can create uh, when defenses are locked in. And I thought that Suns-Warriors game was as close to a playoff game as I've seen this year. Both teams were locked in. And I think that's still where the hope, I guess, is for this team. It's easy to lose track now, I mean, but, you know, the last playoff we've seen, LeBron and AD were able to kind of take over. And again, we're so far from that. It's tough to even watch those games because the roster has, you know, turned over so much. Um, but you're right. That's where the positivity and that's where the hope still is. You kind of have to, you know, squint your eyes now to see it just because of the situations that we've been in. Anthony Davis won't be here until February. Um, and LeBron. Yeah, LeBron looks incredible. I think it's disappointing. He's played his ass off for the last five games or four games or whatever it is. We've lost every single one of them. And I thought, you know, that that's rough for him to, you know, put effort into that and us losing that way. Uh, but yeah, that's where the hope just comes in, man. If LeBron and AD can still be themselves, because that's what playoff basketball comes down to. It comes down to can your worst player switch on my best player, right? That's basically what playoff basketball is. Can your lowest defender switch on to my uh, best player? And can you survive that? Can you trap out of that? Can you scheme out of that? And when possessions slow down, That's why, you know, teams like the Utah Jazz that win a million games the regular season and they're a absolute juggernaut. I think they're a serious title contender and all that. But it's why the playoffs is a different story. And if we can just get there somewhat healthy, going into some kind of rhythm, that's the little gleam of hope you can see. But right now we are nowhere close to that. We are not, we haven't built habits that are conductive to getting there. Um, But, you know, there's still a path to being good. Like I, I, I 100% agree with that. I just, we aren't, on that train you know yet uh but there's still time to get on it so hopefully we can hopefully it starts with houston on tuesday tuesday or monday i don't know it is anyone. tuesday tuesday okay with houston on tuesday
0: which is great because the lakers are going to get a chance to probably get a good day or two of practicing and yeah. practice that you can keep relatively short and easy on the bodies but give guys a chance to learn the game good good time to get stanley johnson Back into the mix. Good time to get all these guys that were locked in their hotel rooms because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Tons and tons of shots up. Let's say Austin Reeves and uh, Kent Baysmore clear protocols in the next yeah. day. You can give them lots of time to get their feel for the game back. It's, it's a good time to have that two-day break. I'm going to leave you guys with one, a quote from LeBron. Um, he was asked how he tries to stay patient with this roster. and He said, quote, I'm not a very patient person. But without our head coach just getting guys back, still missing a few, I just try to stay even-keeled. No one is going to feel sorry for us. And it's something that I've appreciated from LeBron this year. He's been you know, a little bit less dramatic <laughs> and a little bit more you know, in the moment of trying to just do the best he can. And the effort that he's put forward in this nasty stretch has been amazing. And all I would say is, you know, the Lakers just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other. It's like that quote from Mm -hmm. Ken Bazemore, chop wood, carry water. All you can do is work hard with what you got. Guys are going to continue to come back into the lineup. As they come back, they're going to get their legs underneath them and get a rhythm. And then Anthony Davis is on the way as well. And when that happens, if you put in the work now, it'll all come together and it'll all work. Um, Guys, thank you so much for coming to hang out with us on Christmas evening like this. This is going to... air on dash radio on monday morning at 7 a.m pacific standard time it'll also be in its entirety on our podcast feed here in about 30 minutes thank you guys so much for supporting raj and i in the show we appreciate it and hopefully if we're lucky the lakers will start to turn things around against houston on tuesday
1: merry christmas everybody happy holidays thanks for coming